0: All right, we're recording. Oh, wrong song. (laughs) (laughs) You ready? (laughs) Now we're really ready this time. Ready?
1: (laughs) All right. Are you sure it ain't big booty bitches?
0: Welcome back, everybody, to Wicked Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and tonight on the show with me is Witness G. How
1: you doing, everybody?
0: So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about um, the great adventure, Haunted Castle Fire. Uh, it was May 11, 1984, and it was a school trip that turned into a nightmare. So we're going to talk about that uh, right after we get back from these words.
2: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
0: So you and I were talking briefly about uh, school trips, how much fun they were, man, like... I remember being so so juiced up, man, about going going on school trips. You know, I, I went to school, uh, a grade school, a Catholic grade school in their in the inner city, right? So there were only eighteen kids in my class, but there there's a lot of kids that you didn't hang out with, right? So like you you pretty much liked everybody, but you didn't always hang out with everybody. They weren't always your buddies, right? So it was always interesting. To have that day where you got to hang out and be social with everybody, including the teachers, you know, and it was yeah, yeah. our our school trips always came in May, like this one did for these kids, and that was the other th- cool thing about it. It was always getting warm, weather was getting good, and man, getting off for the summer is right around the corner, you know. Yeah. Oh god, it was a good
1: feeling, man. It was it was like summer starting. Yeah, and I told All you of that trip, man. That's where it started. Yeah,
0: and I told you, you know, we we would go to this shanty amusement park in Pennsylvania called West Point Park. It was you know a shitty amusement park, right? <laughs> but like you know, it took a couple hours to get there. You were on the bus. You would leave. You know, that was the other cool thing, right? You got to get up later. So you know, oh, we're leaving at nine, and we're gonna get there at eleven. You know, oh, we're not leaving till five. It was just, it was just a welcome change from the monot, you know, the monotony of school, right? And you know, yeah. my dad would work night work, and I, so he didn't know, right? My mom would take care of us, and I'd be like, Dad, I'm going to West Point tomorrow, and he'd be like. Oh, you know, son, you, you got you to go see the graveyard where all the soldiers are buried. He had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So we would go to this West Point Park and I'd be like, what's he talking about? You know? And, it, but it was just, <laughs> it was just such a good day. You know, where did you guys go?
1: Uh, we went to, we did go to Great Adventure. Um, but for the most, we went only a handful of times. But our normal, our go-to was Clementson Park.
0: Yeah, I think a couple Although years... That's,
1: that's usually where we'd end up. I Also, like, not in, you know, it's not great adventure, or any kind of Six Flags or bush Gardens or anything like that, but it's... Dude, we loved Clementon, man. It was it's just a little park, man, but we loved it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too. There's not a big, long way for rides. Like, there is a great adventure, you know? And, I mean, I remember yeah. Clementon. We had... Actually, I think West Point had closed down for our eighth grade year, and we wound up going to Clemson, and it was nice. And I took the family there a couple times afterwards, you know. So yeah, I mean, oh, just a great day, just a, always a great day in your mind, right? Um, so excited, couldn't sleep the night before. Can't wait to get on the bus. Can't wait yeah. to get there. <laughs> you know, just good times, right? So, so these kids.
1: Yeah. Now, did you guys? Ask- Did you guys wear uniforms?
0: Um, Yeah, that was the other cool thing. It's I'm glad you pointed that out.
1: Exactly, that was a big thing to me. Was because we did. We I went to Holy Spirit in Philly, and that was a big thing. Was seeing everybody out of uniform was super weird. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, like we had nuns, and like you know when we went to West Point Park, they they didn't wear their habits, and that was kind of (laughs) weird.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know.
0: It was just kind of like, wow. No, it was just,
1: it's just one of those interesting things, man, that, like, sticks out in my head. It's like, you
0: know, just not wearing the uniform. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not to have that tie, right? I mean, God. I, You mm-hmm. know, God, they were terrible. We had clip-on ties, too, because you can't tie a tie when you're, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. <laughs> so you had yeah. that clip-on well, I tie. I had the clip-on because uh,
1: we had the, the normal – we had one that was – it wasn't exactly a real tie, but it had a loop. And I remember getting – in trouble all the time for like wearing it like rainbow style like as, <laughs> as a headband yeah so it was a clip from there on out
0: yeah <laughs> that was the other thing too right it had like a little clip and it was adjustable but the knot always stayed yeah was, catholic school is rough man people are out there going to public school are probably like <laughs> what are these guys talking about <laughs> yeah.
1: well i ended up going to public school eventually but yeah i, I do remember just the, the excitement of not being in uniform and seeing like all your your buddies without the uniform on, you
0: know? Yeah. And then I went to a uh, stifling boys' high school in Philly. I went to Northeast Catholic High School and it was for boys. So, you know, we didn't have any co ed stuff going on. So, and we also didn't do any school trips. So it was great. It was great to have those days, you know, back in the day and you got to hang out with the girls and everything. Yeah. And these kids must have been excited that day too, you know? Um, there was. Yeah, for sure. Specifically, two um, girls that were Suzette Elliott and Tina Genovese, and they had come from Victory Christian High School, which was over near Williamstown. Um, and these girls... Yeah,
1: now they bought tickets to the park.
0: Yeah, you, you know, it was cool, right? They, they had actually done a, um, a, a contest and, and collected Campbell's Soup labels to go on this trip. Um, they collected the most and they got to go on it. And they were only 15 years old, both girls. But it must have been tremendously exciting for them, if you think about it, right? Because they're, they're, they that school was a strict Baptist school, right? So, yeah. yeah. So what I did is I did a little bit of a recorded a timeline for what happened with the girls and what eventually happened uh, with the fire. And here's what that sounds like. For Suzette Elliott and Tina Genevieve, two 15-year-old girls from Williamstown, Their school trip to Great Adventure couldn't have been going any better. During the day, the girls managed to meet two older boys who were cutting school and were there, and they treated the girls very well, Joey Beirutti and Nick Kayaza. And Nick even let Suzette wear his bandana as they went around the park. Meanwhile, in another part of the park, Joey Iraka, a 13-year-old boy from Trenton who was also there visiting with the school group, struck up a conversation with a young boy who was also visiting from Schuylkill County, PA, a school by the name of Operation Plus. This boy is only ever identified as having the initials JF. He was a small boy who wore a Quiet Riot t-shirt and a painter's cap, and he and Joey hung out for the day as well. They slowly headed over to the haunted castle for a walkthrough. After checking back in with their chaperones, Suzette and Tina met up with Joey and Nick back at the Haunted Castle for a walkthrough. The boys bought the girls water ice, a very bad twist of fate for the girls, because as they finished their water ice in line, two boys, Joey Iroca and another boy, J.F., walked in ahead of them, along with four adults and five boys speaking Spanish from a high school in Brooklyn. When Joey and JF made their way into the haunted castle and reached the strobe hallway, as the lights went out, JF was in front of Joey and he was flicking his lighter intermittently to be able to see when the lights went out. Joey thought this was a terrible idea and had mentioned something to JF, but JF just ignored him and continued to flick his lighter. As they reached the end of the hallway, he accidentally bumps into the polyurethane pad, which at that point had been tore up pretty bad over the last four years. The lighter hit the pad, polyurethane ignited and the boy with the painter's cap and a quiet riot t- shirt took off and Joey followed him. The girls finished up their water ices and walked in with the boys. Joey paired off with Tina and Suzette paired off with Nick and the two couples hung out near the wall right behind the barrel so they could look through and watch the people walk through the wall. They were hanging out there when suddenly they started to hear people screaming fire. It was the four adults that had walked in ahead of them and they were coming back towards them and they were coming back very quickly followed by a large column of smoke coming down the hallway. The girls barely had time to think and before you know it, they were engulfed by smoke and people, they were knocked to the floor and the smoke was so thick that they could not get up. Suzette laid there wondering where she had gone wrong. She had ignored her strict Baptist upbringing, was hanging out with a boy in what amounted to a temple to the devil She was wondering what happened to Tina. There was screaming, there was confusion, and she just thought to herself, this is how it ends. And as she laid there on the floor, slowly giving up hope, coughing, covering her mouth with the bandana, she thought to herself, this is what I get. This is what I deserve for disobeying everything that I've been taught. And it was then miraculously that a hand touched her back and a voice said, can you walk? Gary Kapla was a worker at the haunted castle. And Gary bravely ran in. As he looked around for survivors to pull out of the fire, he looked and saw Nick's bandana on Suzette's head, and he was able to pick her up and bring her to safety. The flames raged on, slowly engulfing the entire complex, both sides. Soon there was nothing left but the framing on the outside of the trailers. All in all, eight people perished that day. Tina Genovese, Joey Beyruti, Nick Kayaza, who Suzette was with, and whose bandana she was wearing, Sammy Valentine, Eric Rodriguez, Lenny Ruiz, Chris Harrison, Jose Carrion, all perished in the fire. Initially, officials at Great Adventure didn't believe that anybody died in the fire. The next day, when they were picking through the wreckage, they saw what they thought were mannequins, but they soon realized that it were bodies piled up. There were seven bodies piled on top of each other, all trying to get one last gasp of air from the air conditioning vents on the floor. It remains the biggest amusement accident in New Jersey history with a total death toll of eight people. So as you can see, you know, a, a trip that turned into a nightmare, um, for those eight poor eight kids. And, uh, the, original people who designed that uh haunted castle were the mahana family and they had a uh identical place over in seaside right
1: yeah it was called uh the gates to hell
0: and i wanted to mention too there's an excellent documentary online that i think you know if you want all the details on this uh even more detail than we're giving you There's a guy who's done a documentary that's fantastic. And he did this back in 2004. He left no stone unturned, did this out of the kindness of his heart, just because he was concerned about it. You know, it's independent journalism. It's done. It was recorded in 2004. A lot of times with handheld, you know, camcorders or camcorders on tripods. But it's amazing to me how much information this guy got on the entire, you know, leading up to the fire all the information he has on Great Adventure, everything. Um, And that documentary is called The Doorway to Hell. It's on YouTube. It's in five sections. And the gentleman who recorded it is a gentleman by the name of Peter James Smith. Uh, You can go on YouTube and just look up his channel, Peter James Smith. Or you can go and just Google or, or search in there, The Great Adventure Haunted Castle Fire. And you'll see a documentary come up. There's a few of them. Uh, But the one you're looking for is part one of five uh, and Peter James Smith as the uh, producer of it. I think you guys will really enjoy that. It gives you all the detail you could ever want because this is pretty fascinating how this fire affected everything in uh, amusement parks and in New Jersey itself uh, going forward. Um, so the not even just Jersey, but
1: I think nationwide, you know, laws came out of this, you know?
0: Yeah. The Mahanis had, uh, like you said, a doorway to hell and it was on the pier at Seaside Heights. And then they also built, uh, this facility and they built it and ran it for the first four years for great adventure. Great adventure had a clause where they could buy it after four years for a hundred dollars. It was 16 retired trailers from, you know, tractor trailers, and they were stacked together. There were two haunted houses for when it was busy, and they were mirror images of each other. So there was one on one side, one on the other. One was called the red side, and one was called the blue side. And this sat behind a facade of plywood that they had put up in front of it to make it look like a haunted castle. You know, walk through. There would be some actors in there who would jump out at you. That kind of thing. You walk through one of those kaleidoscope barrels. Uh, there was a chamber where there was a strobe light. Uh, after yeah, that, for- but basically
1: standard, standard haunted ride. You know, one way in, one way out, depending on what side you're on. Yeah, but impossible to get lost. But you know, made to be disorienting
0: on purpose because you're trying to scare people. So, exactly. uh. When the fire hit, uh, one of the things that had gotten passed over, uh, was, you know, sprinklers. Uh, there was a safety expert that had came in in 1979 and had said to the Mahana family, Hey, you know, you really should have sprinklers in this facility and also fire, you know, fire alarms, smoke alarms. So they looked at the sprinkler system and they were like, No, that's way too much money. We're not going to, we're not going to install that. We can't make a profit if we do that. Um, so what they did was they put fire alarms in there and smoke alarms, but you know, those kept getting vandalized and ripped down and batteries taken out of them. They also recommended that they have more exits in the facility itself because there were only two exit doors. And one of the problems with the exit doors was also that they were having kids who would go in. Right. Like you figure, these are young kids are going in a haunted house. What are they going to do? They're going to want to j- join in on the scare, right? So they're going to sit there and they're going to try to scare other kids as they come in. Uh, they're going to stop, jump out at them as well, and join the party, right? So they're going to do a little bit of that. Uh, they were also getting violent with the actors that were in the haunted house itself. What they did was to stop that, they had taken one. Individual, the Hunchback, which was a blacklight thing that you went in on the first turn, and there was it was the first scare. There was this Hunchback that would jump out. The blacklight would go on, and he would jump out and scare you. Um, and he was getting brutalized. So uh, they, yeah, yeah. yeah, they they eventually just decided to take him out altogether. And that was another key error for them um, because that was the person that could kind of keep the groups going, making sure nobody was hanging out. And when the accident happened, it happened in the first three or four trailers of the Haunted Castle. Taking that guy out was, was a key error. Also, they built a couple fences in front of the other actors that prevented people from being able to be let out uh, of the exit doors that were behind the actors. Yeah. And then, yeah,
1: now they put a, They put them up for protection for the actors because, you know.
0: Right, they were getting punched. You got and people
1: coming in, they're getting scared, yeah, you know. Yeah. So get, it's, it was to protect the actors, but at the same time, it cut off the, uh, you know, the audience, the people going through the ride from getting out safely.
0: And the two exit doors that they had, the reason those kids got piled up in that pile and died, where they died, yeah. that we talked about in the recording, um, is because – the one exit door was chained closed. And the reason it was chained closed yeah, is
1: which I found that really irresponsible, man. That was,
0: yeah, I don't know how that ever. Well, happened. just but in general, six flags with this whole thing is just unbelievably irresponsible. Right. And what they did was they chained that door closed. And the reason they did it is because kids were kicking it open and they would go, you know, smoke some pot and then they would come back into the ride and they would walk through and anyone kids going out there to get high. So, on busy nights, they would start chaining it shut. So now you only have one other exit door, and it's at the end of the facility, almost near the exit anyway. So you've got this yeah. facility where there's no egress, has these highly flammable materials in it. So we talked about the fire and what happened, but we didn't talk about how the fire started. There was another group of kids there that day, and one of the kids that was there was a kid by the name of Joey Iraka. And he became a key witness in the, in the trial. He was 13 years old, and he was there with Bishop Middle School. And he met a kid while he was there, and this, this kid was never identified. They just gave his initials, and his initials were J.F. And uh, the kid was from Operation Plus School in Schuylkill County, P.A., And Joey uh, described this kid as having a painter's cap, which was like all the rage back in 1984. Everybody was going to MAB and buying painter's caps. I can never quite understand it. But he had a painter's cap and he had a black Quiet Riot shirt on. So he and Joey struck up a conversation and they were kind of the same age. That's another thing that happened on Claire's trip. She would meet these new friends, you know. So they decided that they were going to go into the Haunted Castle together. The kid went in, and he went in in front of Joey. Joey had saw him flicking his lighter, and when he got to the end of uh, the hallway, that was the strobe hallway. At the end of the hallway. Yeah, now,
1: I think we should talk about this real quick, man. Sure. So, this hallway, you've probably seen them yourself in these rides, but it's it's a short hallway. But at the very end of the hall, on the wall, is like a painted illusion that makes the hallway look a lot longer than it actually appears it's an illusion that makes the hallway seem like it's a very long hallway but really it's a short hallway with the illusion at the end of it well people also in this hall there was a strobe light so you got people that are super disoriented and they end Scared. up slamming into this wall at the end you know because they think it's a they think the hallway's continuing further but it's just a wall painted to make the hallway look like it's going further and on top of that, like I said, the strobes. So what you had was, over time, people kept smashing into this wall. So what they ended up doing was putting, they replaced that wall. It's still an illusion, but they made it like a polyurethane pad. So people wouldn't hurt themselves as bad if they smashed into it at the end of that hole. Right. You know, trying to run out of the funhouse. Right. So
0: And that was done in 79. They had actually uh, redone that in 1979. So, you know, you can imagine this polyurethane pad is at the end of the wall and it's been there since 1979. It's been there for five years. It's pretty chipped up because people are still going to run into it. And this kid is flicking his lighter. And unfortunately, he gets to that spot where the pad is, flicks the lighter, and he sets the polyurethane pad on fire. And that's what started the fire. Now, if anybody knows anything about polyurethane urethane foam, Um, it is a petroleum product in seconds. Yes. It's based a petroleum based product. It will just literally go up like G said in seconds. And, um, it went up and Joey and the other boy took off running and the way they ran, they continued through the castle itself. That was why they didn't get caught up with everybody else. They set the fire. Uh, the other people turned the corner and also the Spanish-speaking students, they turned the corner and saw this and just assumed that it was part of the, you know, the acting. Soon they figured out when the smoke was coming down, well, uh, you know, this is a big deal. And they turned around, yelled fire and started running the other way. Now, there was a teacher who was kind of following this kid around a little bit um, because he knew Maybe the kid was a little bit disturbed. So he was at the end and saw the smoke start to billow out of the ride. And he saw uh, the kid, JF, actually run out of the end of the the ride. So it goes up in flames. The Great Adventure Fire Department responds. There are two guys in a little toy practical practically a toy truck right and it takes them forever to get there because it's not a real fire truck it's just like this little great adventure fire truck and on top of it all they get there they got to get through the crowd that's the other thing and where the haunted castle was was really like in an area that was kind of separated out from the rest of the area
1: yeah so you got to think this isn't a real fire department anyways the park fire brigade so you know they got a dinky little truck you know and then getting to the park, like you said, is restricted. So not only are you having to deal with crowds, the, the castle's literally got a moat going around it, like an actual moat. Yep. So there's really – it's it's hard to get into it.
0: And they had also placed it in a little bit of a pine forest. So they had, to, they had to navigate the trees. Once they get there, they have to navigate the moat. They have to navigate the fence. So they get there, and one actually another rig, because there's two rigs in the, in the department, the one rig breaks down completely and never gets there. Uh, The other guys get there and they start trying to pump water and they can't. There's, there's just not enough water pressure in the park because the park's not closing. People are still going to the bathroom. They're still running the log flume. They're still doing all that good stuff. And there's just not enough water. So what happens is they wind up calling all the major fire brigades, you know, who are, are mostly volunteer outfits from all around. And they need pumper trucks to come and have water that they can pump onto the fire. So pretty quickly, the fire gets completely out of control. And we didn't want to get too much bogged down into the details because this is a, after all, paranormal podcast. And we want to talk a little bit about that aspect of it. But once again, um, you can get most of the details from Peter James Smith's uh, excellent documentary online on YouTube. And I think that'll get you down into most of the details. Suffice it to say that the construction of the structure to begin with uh, was illegal because the Jackson Building Inspector uh, considered it to be a, a temporary structure because it was trailers, even though yeah, it sorry. wasn't.
1: It's exactly. They made it out of the trailers, which was a loophole to get around the, the zoning because, because it was made of those trailers, it was considered a non permanent structure.
0: Right. If it hadn't so it didn't
1: been, abide by the same, you know, fire codes as
0: exactly you know, a normal building. Exactly. If it had been if you think about it, there's not a lot of, of structures in a, an amusement park to begin with, right? There's restaurants and little stands to go get something to eat and there's restrooms, right? So it's unusual to have a building a standard building everywhere. Every, anyway, you know, things are pretty much a ride at that point and they're not yeah. you know, they're not buildings. Jackson County had just uh, adopted Boca building codes, which are really, really strict. And, you know, standing sprinkler system, that kind of thing, backup generators, uh, cutoff switches, all that, you know, for electric, all that good stuff. So they needed to get around that to build this. And the reason they built it in the first place was because they had bought two coasters and needed to pay for them. They needed to extend the season to the end of October. So once they extended it to the end of October, um, they were losing out a little bit to people who are running local haunted houses. So they said, we need a haunted house. So that was the reason for building it in the first place. Corners were cut. Handshake deals were made with local politicians. You know, local building inspectors looked the other way. They actually even, as a matter of fact, ran a, and this may have been a little bit of guilty conscience coming out. They actually ran a fire drill there um, 41 days before. On April Fool's Fool's Day, Day. yes, (laughs) which I thought was pretty apropos. Yeah, and when they ran that fire drill, uh, they rescued, uh, in quotes, rescued uh, somebody from the stage above the sign that said "The Haunted Castle" on the facade, which was ridiculous because nobody was ever up there. It was just a part of the facade. Yeah. So they make a big deal. They film this whole thing and they rescue this dummy um from the top of it so were they covering their ass a little bit with that hoping that there would never be a fire and if anybody ever said hey you know did you ever did you ever really worry about fire over at this place they could show them the film i mean is that what they were doing yeah yeah but it, uh, that's kind of what it feels like you yeah. Know? yeah i mean because, it was, i mean
1: they probably had felt some sense of like you know we need to make sure this at least looks safe because like you said back you know Five years prior when the guy was there in 79, they only took a few of his notes into account. Like, they put in an AC, which ended up actually spreading that fire worse than it was. Yes. But uh, they didn't put in the sprinkler system like you already mentioned. Nope. Um, I don't know if they had fire extinguishers in there, but I know during the fire they couldn't find any fire extinguishers.
0: Yeah, that's never made so, completely clear. But, yes, they could not find them if they were in there. It's almost like they were... They, they felt like they had to cover their ass with this film. And then 41 days later, they have this thing blow up in their face. So that night, this was another thing that was shocking to me. I don't know about, about with you, but that night, you know, they, they keep the park open. This thing's burning and golden earring was playing. That
1: was wild, man.
0: Yeah. Golden earring was playing. They had a concert that night. Golden earring, you know, radar love, uh, when the bullet hits the bone, couple good songs there, you know, they're playing. Uh, and the lead singer actually looks up and sees the column of smoke and mentions something to the crowd. And they just kept the park open. They didn't shut it. Um They just, because that area was so remote, they just kept the rest of the park open. And then eventually they realized that they've got some fatalities because there was a story that at first they thought what they recovered on the inside everybody were mannequins. Yeah. And they thought everybody got out and they thought that there were some, you know, they had just recovered mannequins. So that's what they You know, if anybody was in the park as a chaperone or anything else from these different schools that had went that day, they got told, well, there's no fatalities. You know, we don't we don't know of any fatalities at this point.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the night, when the parks closing up and you got, you know, you're trying to get these kids back on buses, suddenly there's, you know, one or two people missing here, there. And that's when they realize, like, yo, this isn't a pile of mannequins. This is people.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, well, that's
1: know people have already been bust out of there. Yeah. And one
0: of Just the problems too, I don't know how that happens. Man. Yeah. one Well, one of the problems too, with five of the kids, right. Is they're they're, they're there with a school that's, you know, got a thousand kids there that day, the school up in Brooklyn. I mean, you yeah, know, that, yeah, exactly that school. Um, it's huge. So it was something K line, Franklin K line school. They, they had brought a thousand kids down with them. So I don't know if, like normally when we would go, there'd be a head count at the end of the day. Hey, sound off, you know, everybody here, blah, blah, blah. So you don't leave anybody back at the park. Right. So, but I don't know yeah. if you can do that with a thousand kids in a situation where there's this fire and there's all this confusion. So I don't know whether they yeah, did a head you know, count or
1: 1984, not. Things are a little bit different than they are now.
0: Exactly. A little bit looser with that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's some schools that had 40 kids. So I'm sure they knew right away. Um, But anyway, these these buses get rolling back, and the buses that roll back to Franklin K-Line in Brooklyn, they get back there. Parents are waiting to pick up the kids because it's after hours, and these poor people are there, and their kids don't get off the bus. So a bunch of parents start down towards Great Adventure, and a lot of them don't get there till the next day. But uh, Joey Araka went home, and he told his parents what he saw that day, and he told them about seeing J.F. with the lighter. He told them everything. And then also there was another woman that was there that day. Um, She sees the fire on the news. She was actually a a woman from Philadelphia. Her husband was a, uh, a pastor. She was in the haunted Castle that day, and her kids got scared. So she saw the same exit door, and she tried to get out of it. And when she pushed it, she realized that it was chained shut and she had to go all the way through with her kids. So she alerts the media right away. Hey, there might've been some chains on those doors, but she did, or she actually called the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's what she did. She called the Philadelphia Inquirer and she told a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter, Hey, you know, I saw this chain. She knew right away something was up. And then these poor people, the parents, they get there the next day to great adventure and (laughs) They're trying to find out yeah, what's
1: the worst. Yeah, it is
0: absolutely the worst. They're trying to find out what's going on with their kids and they get to the front gate and they get told that they can't come in unless they pay a one day adult admission. admission fee.
1: Yeah, that was that was really off well putting here, man.
0: These poor people they get there, they you know, they can't find anything out. No no management's coming out. They're they're just dealing with these low level security kids. You know, all they know is they're not supposed to let anybody in until they pay. Great Adventure just tripping all over themselves. So there, there was a lot of things that were covered up. Um, and now if you think about this, in Ocean, Ocean County and in Jackson Township, Great Adventure was one of the largest employers and one of the largest taxpayers in that area. It was, as a matter of fact, that was the largest employer and largest taxpayer in the area. They went out of their way to try to not piss them off too much. I don't know what they were thinking. The bottom line was these eight teenagers that died, burned to death horribly in this castle without sprinkler systems, wind up seven of them eventually sue the great adventure corporation. And they wind up getting six to $700,000 and they, yeah it was all settled. Yeah. And on top of it all, Great Adventure gets to pay them out over a 30-year period from 1984. So if you think about that, they're probably getting the final payments in 2014. And it ballooned up to $2.5 million uh, because of the 30 years. So they eventually got paid over that time $2.5 million. Now one family attempted to buck that trend and actually take Great Adventure, the and the Township, everybody to court. And try to win more of a award, and they got beaten back and wound up walking away with just you know seven hundred thousand dollars. So they were yeah, in a way sh- teaching them a lesson.
1: Yeah, which is terrible, but you know at the same time, eventually what came out of this was a, a national law and guidelines for fire prevention in these kinds like kind of parks. You know, yeah, what I- was a good thing, but also like just how everything was handled and try, you know, basically swept under the rug and pushed aside and buried.
0: You know, National Fire Protection Agency, like G said, comes in, and they're sifting through the ashes, and they wind up, um, they learn stuff from the fire, and they make all kinds of new uh, rules about these type of structures and these type of buildings, and they become national mandates. Now, that did not stop two of their members from actually testifying for Great Adventure, and at some point, and saying that sprinklers would not have helped in this situation. So, I don't know who got to those two guys from the National Fire Protection I don't know, agency. but it sounds like they were pulled off. Uh, it really does, so right? Them off. Yeah, we're not saying that, but it does sound like it. <laughs> so, you know. Well, I've it, seen it. Yeah, there you go. It was paid off. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, you know, they, those guys, the National Fire Protection Agency actually had to put a law in to govern their own members where they said, if you ever testify independently in a case, uh, you have to state that, you know, your views are not those of the National Fire Protection Agency. But it was horrible. And yeah. the families were treated horribly. Um, and interestingly enough, in 1984, We all know I live in Brigantine. I talk about it all the time. We had Brigantine Castle here. And once again, the other night, I was thinking about Brigantine Castle. And I realized that Brigantine Castle got shuttered in 84 as well after this. Um, And the reason Brigantine Castle got shuttered is because they had to put sprinkler systems in and could not do it. They couldn't retrofit the structure for sprinklers. It was just simply impossible. And they couldn't bring it up the these new standards of code. So eventually what happened was it got, you know, shuttered, got surrounded by cyclone fence and eventually got shut down. You know, there was a, uh, fire in 1987 where the structure and the pier itself burned down, uh, when it was getting yeah. ready to get redeveloped, which made me think a lot like of, about that fire. You know, that fire may have yeah. been an insurance fire.
1: Yeah. That's what, <sighs> Yeah, I think about that. i the whole time doing the research for this show and our other Luna Park episode, which is you know very similar to this episode. I, I think about uh, the way you're just talking about the Brigantine Castle. I, I think about where I went all the time as a kid, which was Wildwood, and uh, Dracula's Castle. That ended up burning down. Was that insurance fraud? Was Obviously, that, uh, right? Cause I think it was. It was. This, I think. Uh, I don't think anybody fully pinned it down, but I think arson. Was uh was believed to be arson.
0: Yeah. Now I would I would yeah and and there's additional information available online about those two places, Brigantine Castle and also Dracula Castle, Dracula's Castle, and there was also another uh, facility at a boardwalk up north. And if you look into who owns those facilities, I think you'll you'll find an interesting trail of breadcrumbs there too. So you guys want to do some research on your own? Go check that out. See who actually owned those. It was Carmen Ricci here in Brigantine. Let's just say there's a lot of guys who make gravy on Sunday that owned a lot of those haunted attractions, and they all kind of closed and got shuttered up at the same time because they couldn't be brought up to code. So it had far-reaching tendrils. It really did. It shut down a lot of things. So, again, why are we bringing it up? Well, we're bringing it up because Garrett and I have a larger – I don't know if he shares it as much as I do, but I, I have a larger idea about amusement parks and about, uh, you know, weird shit that goes on in amusement parks. It's almost like there are yeah. modern temples for human sacrifice. I'm just going to say it straight out. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on, a lot of weird fires, a lot of, uh, weird things go on with it, and there's a lot of weird art in amusement parks to begin with. But when it comes to where the haunted castle was in Great Adventure, there was a lot of a lot of that area is was cursed going forward. So that particular geographic location, where it sat, it doesn't seem like Great Adventure can get anything to work there. <laughs> so initially, what did they yeah. do to? you know, kind of uh, cover up the area. So the area sat empty for a little while, and then they they developed uh, Batman the Chiller, which was one of the biggest roller coaster failures of all time. It was $15 million, and it was an absolute, utter failure. It never ran right. They failed to put in a power plant. So basically what happened was um, every time there were two coasters, there was one called Batman and one called Robin. And what they would do is they would go up and there were two different rides, right? So one of them was like through some loops and the other one was through some barrel rolls. The thing was is they wanted them both to go off at the same time. So you could see the two coasters up in the, you know, the works of the roller coaster at the same time. But every time they did that with these electromagnetic motors that they had, it took so much electricity that it browned out the entire area. They would literally like if you could tell when the coasters were going off because your TV would turn off. So the first thing they did to counter that was they decided, well, we won't put, we won't have them go off at the same time. Well, that didn't solve the issue, and pretty much Batman the Chiller uh, was plagued with problems um, from the get-go. They eventually tried to build a power plant, but that didn't work either because uh, some of the motors started malfunctioning. They actually even had to put an escape walkway in. Uh, at the low points with these coasters because it was not unusual to get on them and then just to not work. So You'd be hanging upside down, and you would have to get, you know, they'd come over with some scaffolding to get you out. You know, fun, fun stuff, right? And it was $15 million that they spent for this thing, and eventually just scrapped it. And they actually shipped it. It was supposed to go to uh, a park in Brazil, so they took it apart. And this park in Brazil was eventually going to buy it, but they reneged on buying it too. So, Batman the Chiller was the first thing they put over there that didn't work and failed miserably. And they didn't really know what to do with that area after that. They did have the Audubon bumper cars uh, that they put over there. And the Audubon pum- bumper cars started to have some crazy, crazy, crazy things happen. So, I've got a couple stories here. These are actual people who worked at Great Adventure and are talking about you know, what they experienced when they were like actually, you know, operating the rides. So here's one, uh, this woman, uh, she says there have been sightings of ghosts around a Batman, uh, the ride roller coaster, uh, where the lightning loops used to be, uh, employees have heard noises of the station walls shaking after hours and seen shadows walking the grounds. So that's one of them. Uh, let's see. I got another one here. Uh, I worked at Great Adventure for three summers in the 90s while I was in college. And I can tell you that there was one section of the park that was really creepy after hours. And that was over in the Bavarian area on your way to the employee exit. So this is exactly the area she's talking about. I worked in retail around the main gate. Yeah, I worked in retail around the main gate area my first year, which to anyone who hasn't worked there, uh, we were always the last employees to leave the park. Uh, The year I was up front, we rarely rarely left before 2 a.m. All the rides, food and games and people and most of the other retail workers were usually long gone by that time. So the park was always dead quiet when we walked out. I loved strolling through the park at that time of night, except for the one area. It was actually very peaceful and a lot of fun until you turned that one corner and went by the Autobahn bumper cars and you just had an overwhelming feeling that someone was watching you and we would often hear the old speakers from the haunted castle where the organ music was playing, click on and click off as we walk through that area.
1: Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's more chilling than the chiller.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> yeah pretty cool stories there, man. So, you know, yeah. uh, that, that area was, they've always had problems with it. Since then.
1: Now did you wanna talk about the uh escape from the haunted castle? Yeah.
0: That's what I was gonna talk about next. From the well first of all, what did they oh, what did they put up to, you know, memorialize these victims? They put a garden in but they didn't have any of their names there or anything. It was just a garden area. So at first they didn't have anything on that area they just put this garden area in. Another thing that happened too was around the time. Uh, would have been like 2006, 2007, that like outdoor haunted attractions got big. Uh, they did their own haunted attraction. So they had like Fright Fest. The first time they had Fright Fest, when you approached the front gate, they had eight skeletons tied up to the uh, wrought iron fence, which people found a little bit distasteful, that there were exactly yeah, eight so. skeletons tied up to the fence. The actual part of Fright Fest that was over there was called Brutal Planet. And that area over at Brutal Planet, the first thing you walked through when you came in was you walk through a barrel roll. And that led you directly to a strobe hallway that was now on fire. So the strobe hallway, as you went down, there were flames painted on the walls. And at the end of it, was a devil painted there holding the masks of comedy and tragedy. And that was the way you started out at Brutal Planet. Damn. That's pretty in your face, right? And then also yeah, that yeah. same year, about 300 yards away from where the haunted Castle was, they had a virtual ride um, that you talked about. And this virtual ride, you sat in a seat, you got virtual reality glasses on. And that ride uh, had some smoke that came out of the roof. And the ride was called Escape from the Haunted Castle. Um,
1: it's literally about getting out of a burning castle. So, I mean.
0: And uh, actually, I mean, on the screen, before you put your glasses on, this is what it said on the screen. It said, speak with the spirits, escape the haunted halls, solve the mysteries. That's what it said. And if you watch that documentary by Peter Smith, you'll actually see people who are immersed in the ride. And uh, you'll see the smoke billowing out. And it was right near uh, 300 yards from where the spot was. that yeah. The haunted castle. That was.
1: ain't a smack in the face, man. I don't know. It's definitely That's, a sick, uh,
0: sick sense of humor. And how they thought it was going to get past everybody is beyond me. You know, but that, we see that a lot when we, when we talk about amusement parks, we see weird art, we see weird iconography, we see weird things go on and it makes you wonder. not,
1: Not for nothing. That's a lot of the stuff that attracts me to it. But at the same time, like maybe there's something else going on at these parks. I mean. Even going back to – if you if you look at Disney and his, uh, like, obsession with the occult, man, that – Disney World and Disneyland were, like, designed on, like, just the, the way it was mapped out. It's, its actual design is, like, occult symbols, man.
0: There's tons of them. It's, uh, tons of stuff available that you can yeah, check out I online.
1: Think, and I think it's prevalent, man, in just amusement parks in general. There's so much information, man
0: well if there are actually here's the thing too if there are actually evil spirits out there who feed off human emotion right think about the emotion of that night for those girls that were were there right they they have all that anticipation the night before going right they're 15 year old girls they meet these older guys these older guys think they're think they're cute right so they start hanging out with them so there's all that anticipation. Oh my God, I'm going to get a boyfriend, right? I'm going yeah. to get a boyfriend. All that good stuff. At the same time, you know, they're Baptist girls who had a really strict upbringing, yeah. right? So and they're ignoring all that, right? So there's all that. There's like they're 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 sort of kind of like ignoring like the God aspect, right? Like they're, they're, because they have this temptation, right? So they want to go meet these guys. Right. So they're going to go, maybe they're going to have their first kiss. We don't know. We don't know these girls, right? Maybe they were going to have their first kiss. They have all that going through their head. The day's going great, right? It, It couldn't be going any better, but in a way they're shunning away all that, all that upbringing and all that, that God aspect in their life. Right. In that moment. And then it goes from all that joy to that total feel of panic. To probably some shock, to some terror, absolute terror, right? And then that desperation that the one girl who Tina Genovese who passed away must have felt, and that other feeling of relief and elation that Suzette must have felt when she got rescued. That's a lot yeah. to feast on, right? if you're some sort of being that feeds on human emotion, it's, it's a virtual fucking buffet, man. Right. I mean, like you've got it all right there, you know, and it's, it's weird, man. It makes me wonder if there's just not something we know there's tons of societies that have done, you know, human sacrifice and that kind of thing to, you know, bring in crops to, please the gods to do all that stuff, right? So where did that all come from at the beginning of time, right? How did that get developed? And, you know, you've got this situation where you have these parks all over. And if you look, there's always some kind of tragedy at every park. It doesn't seem like any of them ever get spared. You know, there's always some kind of crazy thing every three or four years that happens, and it really does make you wonder.
1: Yeah.
0: And if you look at this. There's
1: always, it's never just straight up. It's never just, okay, you know, it, an electric fire. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's it's always, you know, something strange like, yeah, okay, in this case, maybe there wasn't, you know, Moloch didn't take a picture with these girls ahead of time, you know?
0: <laughs> like but the Luna Park, let's,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, let's visit. Let's go back to this kid, JF, all right? Now, if you're thinking all right, he's, he's, what, a, 13 or 12, 13 year old. Yes. So he's got a lighter. That's not too crazy. You know what I mean? That's, it's not, it's not absurd that a kid has a lighter, you know, the quiet riot shirt,
0: the quiet riot shirt is the absurdity with him for me. Right. That's kind of like, almost like an inside joke. Like he's wearing this quiet riot thing.
1: It really is. So, and you, you think about, you know, maybe you try to rationalize in your head. He's in this hallway where you got strobe lights. Maybe he's using a lighter to like see through the hallway. You know, when the the lights are off.
0: But they're strobes, you know, right?
1: Maybe maybe he's using it as a as a lighting aid to help get out. You know, who knows? And it just out of pure coincidence he comes up on that polyurethane wall. And you know, it's a wrap from there. But maybe that didn't happen because. That Chapman, you said that seen him exit at the same time as uh, Joe Yoraka. And also, Joe Yoraka, in the second part of that video, the second part of the documentary, he comments in the comment section on the YouTube video.
0: Oh, does he really?
1: And his username, yeah, his username is Joe Yoraka. And it's, uh, he doesn't, he basically, he's still traumatized from it, man. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's just basically saying, like, yeah, I was there, I was, it was awful. But, uh, again, so this is the kid that went home and told his parents, like, yo, uh, you know, I met this kid. He had a lighter. I don't know. This is what
0: happened. And he's 13, now, too. That young.
1: chaperone, yeah, that chaperone that seen him coming out at the same time all the smoke started coming out. Well, at the end of the day, he sees this kid basically on the bus. They're headed back home. And the kid's just, like, flicking his lighter, like, getting lost in the flame, looking catatonic like young Mike Myers or something. Right. But it turns out the kid actually, he the school is like a school for the disturbed. He's already in trouble because of uh, setting fires.
0: He set a fire that now, caused $200,000. He set a fire in the 70s that caused $200,000 worth of damage. Think about that. Yes. Yeah, in so, the 70s, $200,000 yeah. worth of damage.
1: That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of damage for the 70s when and a home was
0: ten like, fifteen thousand dollars right
1: and if you know and if you're kind of disturbed you say this kid was didn't just you know just start arson or maybe it was an accident period but like man if when you're thinking about all the crazy stuff that we think about paranormally and how these entities feed on emotion and how certain individuals are more likely to be manip- manipulated I mean this kid could have I'm not saying he was possessed in setting this castle on fire, but I ain't not saying that.
0: And he, and the interesting thing you know? is, you know, this gentleman who did the documentary and did a fantastic job with it. He pretty much tracked everybody down and he was not able to track down this JF. Wasn't able to find him. It was almost as if the guy didn't exist. Now he was named by name in the, in the court case later on because, you know, they, they were thinking about calling him. They never did because, the you know, the point of the court case was to get, you know, Great Adventure off, right? So they didn't call a witness like that, you know. And,
1: yeah, it wasn't dependent on someone. But was, he was
0: mentioned in it. His full name was in there. So I, I'm sure, you know, Peter probably knows his full name and still couldn't track him down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but that's pre- just taking everything into account, man, it's it's very similar to the Luna Park episode we had. Just I don't I hate to keep calling back that episode, but man, no, similarities. Is. Yeah, and that's
0: why that, really you know, that's we, why we're we doing We talked that.
1: about this fire in the Luna Park episode. Yep. You know, we mentioned this when when we were doing that episode and, you know, and vice versa. It's just there seems to be more at play in specifically in these amusement parks, specifically around the dark rides, like you know
0: Definitely around the kind of dark of rides. Yeah. Definitely around the dark you know? rides, and, and then
1: you have these the testimonies of the the people that work there, saying, you know, yeah, you know, even years after the fact, this spot of the park, it's always been kind of weird. There's been something off about it, you know. And they can't and get I anything know, to work. There. I did not know the uh, the stories you're talking about. I didn't know the the ones about the uh, speakers with the organ music. Because apparently the organ music—that's one of the only things that kept playing in the ride while it was actually burning down. Yeah, that's something they didn't fail. The organs kept playing,
0: and that's also something that happened in the Luna Park fire too. Yeah, they kept yeah. playing, you know. And and if you think about this too, right? There was there was a fire in in Palisades uh, at at the amusement pier there, and that one was some years earlier, but there were seven dead in that. And then, you know, you fast forward to this fire and there's eight. You know, it's just odd,
1: right? Yeah, exactly, man. And if you you just think about popular paranormal belief and that some of these entities feed off of fear, like what better place to feed than like a dark ride, you know?
0: What better place to attract them than an amusement park? I mean, everything there is meant to thrill, scare, you know, it, it's like a a paranormal magnet for those things if they do actually exist. Like we're, you know, we're still debating that. But you're right. If you know, in natural, in nowadays, in paranormal thought, that's that's what people believe that you know these things are feeding off some kind of human emotion. It's amazing.
1: And you know, you, you talk about that uh, the painting for the uh, for the Fear Fest. You know, you got to. A demon there holding, you know.
0: Comedy and tragedy.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's.
0: Where does that idea come from? From the artist, right?
1: That imagery. If that imagery don't sum it up, like, that's what I'm, that's what we're getting at here, folks.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just really odd. It's almost like, it's almost like one of those inside jokes, man, where it's like, you know. It's really, it's just strange. It just really is. The Quiet Riot t shirt thing really threw me over the top. Um, this is just a sad, sad story. All these people cut down in the middle of their lives, you know, all this youth sacrificed, you know, uh, for profit, yeah. essentially. Let's be honest, for profit, right? Um, to a huge corporation. It's just an odd, odd thing. And in May, you know, um, At the beginning of a summer, which if you look back into a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, lore about civilizations that had human sacrifice to begin with, a lot of those sacrifices were done in May. It's just weird. It just really is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I was at a carnival last week, man, and I'd already been doing research for this show. So like. When I was going through the fun house there, I was looking for fire exits. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm yeah. sure a lot of you are getting ready to go down the shore if you haven't already. You know, if you're going to hop on those pure rides, like all those fun houses there, just have this think.
0: show in the back Definitely, of your
1: head. definitely. Uh, yeah, it, I haven't been able to. I I did not walk through that that uh fun house like just did last weekend. Without
0: yeah. thinking about this show. Yeah, we we just you know, you know I, and and that's why I wanted to do it. So there's so much of that going on here right now. I mean, we are like just inundated every weekend with visitors down here. Um, my bosses, my one of my bosses lives in Ocean City, and he said he's just he's he's ready for the summer to be over. It's been the most crowded summer down here <laughs> that it's ever been. It's just crazy, but. There is definitely something out there with amusement parks, and there's definitely something that attracts um, these odd, odd, strange occurrences. And I don't know what it is. I'm just pointing it out. You know, don't kill the messenger. Um, But there is definitely something to it uh, if you look a little deeper. Um, Like the artist at Luna Park had said. I mean, he was a full-on believer, you know, and he was the Mm -hmm. artist at Luna Park. He said there's just something to it here. And all the weirdness too. I I have to tell you this in closing, right? And I I didn't even tell you this, but you're going to, you're going to find this hysterical. So when we did the Luna Park episode, how much did we talk about Tiny Tim? Right. And we even played that weird recording of him talking about the accident. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he literally did like a 10 minute singing, half talking recording about this horrible accident that happened at Luna park in a, in a commercial for Luna park. <laughs> so he's actually trying to get people to come and he's like, yes. Yeah, and the horrible fire and you know, in that goofy voice, right? That weird voice. Um, you know, so we talked about that, right? So last night we were coming home from taking a hike and I was talking to Tracy about doing the show with you today and recording it and talking about this. And next time I have Tracy on, I'll ask her about this and she'll, she'll back me up on it. So, so we're coming down the white horse Pike, and I hope to God there's somebody else out there that saw this and we're coming down and you know, you go 50, 60 miles an hour on a white horse Pike when you're coming into Atlantic city and the Brigantine area and in the right hand shoulder coming the other way is a guy, a taller guy, um, I'm almost half tempted to pull her up here and get her on on headphones with this, right? Maybe I will afterwards and we'll record it. But in the right-hand shoulder is this guy. He's coming down. He's got boxer shorts on. He's got no shirt. He's a heavy, overweight guy, right? Not horribly overweight, but, you know, he's he's got a beer belly on him. He's got long, curly, tiny Tim hair, right? And I'm not kidding you. It's long, right? Halfway down his back. He's walking along with no shoes on and he's playing a ukulele. I am not what? I am not kidding you. Right? I, I'm and I am going to record her after we after we finish and I'm going to ask her about this story. But literally we were talking about today, because she was like, What are you guys recording about tomorrow? And I I told her what we were doing. And he went by and she goes, Do you believe that just happened? And I said, No, I don't. So I don't know if we're dancing with some man, spirit. Wild. We're dancing. Yeah, you know, because
1: there was a lot we didn't talk about in that Luna Parker. dude. There were kept consistencies, like were I guess uh synchronicities kept popping up around this tiny tin, man. It was is
0: so bizarre. That's why he, and it's still happening. Yeah, that's why he. It's still happening. That's why he favors so heavily in that episode, you know, and then that just bizarre speech. About those kids dying, the father and the kids. Yeah. But yeah, when I saw that, it completely blew my mind. Wow, that's wild, man. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe we're dancing some kind of dance with the devil here. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but we're just going to keep. Did you
1: watch Insidious yet, man?
0: Uh, I did. Yes. Yes. I did. Great so movie. So
1: that's the theme song for the demons.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> we talked about that in the Luna Park episode, too. Who knows Super what's going crazy. on, man? Something's going on. <laughs> There's some weirdness. Maybe we'll someday we'll we'll get to the bottom. But we're gonna keep bringing these amusement park tragedies around every spring before everybody goes yeah. to the, to their vacation, so we can ruin their vacation.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think next spring we should we should definitely talk about Disney. Of course, it isn't in Jersey, but you know. We got to talk about that, man.
0: There's a whole. Oh, not only that, the CIA aspect with Disney. Them, yeah. all the shell yeah, companies that they. The
1: cult is super. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and the
0: CIA buying up all that land for him and shell companies. I mean, it's there. It's provable. You can see it. You know, they wanted him there. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, and the influence right now. Like, I mean, damn, outside of the parks, Disney's huge now oh
0: my god it's it's overwhelming world
1: yep it's not just mickey mouse anymore i mean they got the marvel universe it's yeah they're taking over man so they're they're influencing entire generations of kids right now you know
0: yeah and the cia wanted them uh,
1: all positive the way they
0: now the cia wanted them there because they wanted to they wanted them you know involved in propaganda and they did some propaganda stuff disney produced some propaganda videos you Know in some situations, I mean, that's what they did for him. You know, it was a hand in hand relationship. Yeah. So, there's a whole episode on Disney and the weirdness about that. All the goofy covers yeah, we'll where to things get that are one going next spring, yep, absolutely, just
1: before everybody starts going. <laughs> so we'll have to hit them with it. Yeah,
0: all right. So, let me, let me record this and I'm <laughs> gonna throw it into the end of the episode. <clears throat> so, we just did our great adventure episode, and I was telling G about us driving back on Route 30 the other day and what we saw, right? So, without me influencing you, can you tell him what we saw when we were riding down Route 30 the other day?
2: Sure, I saw a tall white guy with long stringy hair with no shirt on and a little pot belly playing a ukulele.
0: (laughs) Dude.
1: That's so bizarre. Isn't it crazy? (laughs)
0: I literally. Well, oh, it's tiny. T- did he not look like Tiny Tim? He looked exactly like Tiny Tim. <laughs> and what was was this last night or the night before? I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was last night though, right? I think it was it, yesterday. Yeah, we were coming back from taking a hike. All right, cool. All right, that's all I. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's crazy. He he surrounds us. He's everywhere.
2: flowers squatted all in like all the bad <laughs> I want to juggle bowling's in the sun I want to join the circus, circus- like but i sit and work the or I can guess your way. I'll even sell the corn dogs. I don't care. As long as I am there, I'll hand out best fouls at the dunce. I'll ride my funny car laughing all the way to the bank. Because I'm a county man. I'm a county man. I'm a county man. I'm a county man. A county man. A... Okay, I got to say this. We vowed not to put this on the live record. I want everybody to know if it does go on or it's your fault. Because you can't pass this shit up here. I it Come.